Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of Eldritch Girl where we've got a number of interviewees today and they're all authors from the Uncanny and the Dead anthology which is edited by Ezra Arndt which came out in January. Um, so we've got Frank Rudiger Lopez, um, Ali Pino and Ezra Arndt and myself, um, C.M. Rosens, and I am in the anthology as well. Let's start with Frank. Frank, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, uh, I'm Frank. I'm a Brazilian historian, writer, researcher, and podcaster. And I I do many things. I, I work in science fiction, and I'm currently doing my master's. And I'm also writing fiction because I clearly don't do enough things. Amazing. Uh, we've also got Ali Pino. Ali, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, and thank you for inviting me on to talk about The Uncanny and the Dead. My name is Ali and I'm doing research at the University of Westminster on food, cultural memory and the Gothic. I am co-authoring a Gothic cookbook, which is a book of recipes inspired by 13 Gothic novels. And Ezra, the editor of the anthology and also has a story in it. Um, Ezra, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ezra Arndt and I write Gothic fiction. That's, that's about where I'm at right now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I'm going to keep that line in. <laughs> so you guys each have a story in the anthology. Um, Frank's is The Dark Pursuit. So that's written in American English with Brazilian conventions. There's Ali's story Hide and Seek, which is a very short one. Um, and that's in British English. Mine's also in British English. And then there is Ezra's uh, The Field Devours, uh, which is in American English. I'm going to pick on you now, Ezra, uh, to go first with the... Would you like to read a snippet from your story and introduce it to us, please? I guess the whole premise of the story is that this flesh-eating cornfield stalks people. I did come up with that pun. Um, <laughs> Esther Steele did. She's in the anthology, too. Um, I thought I recognised that. <laughs> to steal pun. <laughs> this is the first paragraph. There is this field in the dark. I can't help it. I go into it. It calls to me. It sees me. It has no eyes, yet it sees me. Oh, um, I love I the opening. It's yeah. yeah. It's just so creepy. So so it's basically every time every time the character Lee uh, turns the light out, they end up in a cornfield that wants to eat them. That's basically the premise. And it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. How did you come up with that? Like, where, where did that come from? I've always grown up around cornfields. And then I had this sort of this vague idea for this story several years ago after watching part of children of the corn and I'm like well why can't the, just the corn itself be eating people so that's about where it came from <laughs> it's so good and it's got such a it's got such a bitey ending as well a bit of a bit of tragic love in the middle and like <laughs> it's so, it's definitely, so much fun definitely inspired by the Magnus archives too Oh yes, yeah, it's got that it's got a definite Magnus Archives vibe. And um yeah, there's a little bit of the Magnus Archives in the whole kind of premise as well, right? Like it's mm -hmm. yeah. I I really enjoyed that because I love the Magnus Archives. So I was like, ooh, 
But it's got this really cool twist that I, I didn't quite see coming. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> okay, you're doing this with it, which I quite liked. Um, Ali, you go next. Where, would you like to read a snippet from your story and um, just introduce it for us, please? The name of my story is Hide and Seek. And it's about the ghost of a little boy trapped on a ship, part of which is displayed as an exhibit in a museum. Towards the end of the story, the ghost says, No one looked for me, and silence set in and hung uncomfortably on the echoes I could still hear around me. Strangely, I felt no pain or fear. I think I had simply slipped away, leaving no trace. Um, where did you get the idea for it from? Now, museums today are very different from how they used to be. Before, they were showplaces of accumulated objects, and now they are sites of interaction between personal and collective identities and between memory and history. So my story aimed to raise the question, can an object allow one to re-experience something which happened in the past? When we walk into a museum and come close, or perhaps even touch an artefact, the symbol of a traumatic event, can its energy make itself heard? Or can we simply forget and never feel the need to understand events from a different perspective? I suppose this story also wants to underline the importance of museums as spaces which contain and organise the existence of something, or perhaps someone who lives on and can be connected to a specific place, so their bodies and actions creating these strange repetitions and an oddness. The strength of their emotions of these memories or ghosts reaches out into the world and creates something that goes beyond itself. And so through the image of this ghost boy, I wanted to explain how trauma repeats itself and continues to speak out and make itself heard to those people who come into contact with this reorganisation of memory and how they are affected and shaped by that energy. Frank, last but not least, oh, I suppose I'm last, aren't I? Because <laughs> I should really be advertising my story to you. But Frank, you can go next. And then, um, Frank, okay. would you like to introduce your story? <laughs> sure. So um, there's uh, a weird pursuit between a weird, uncertain, cosmic, eldritch entity and the pursued, who's, uh, well, he's fairly horrible. But I won't say much more than that, but I am going to read a short bit from The Pursuer. Uh, ah, Damien, still believing you can escape from us. Go, run, fly away as fast as you can. It matters little. It has been a long time since we have been up and about. How delightful that you raised us from slumber. Yeah, so this is the... Um... This is the eldritch horror entity cosmic. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I very much enjoyed your story, Frank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, where did you get the idea for it? Essentially, it was from a very visual image of a the Hollow Knight video game, um, where there's a particular area. I suppose uh, it's called the Abyss, and there's this weird void energy thing it's complicated uh but it was very striking as imagery as this sort of sentient black mass um and then i was like oh this i can play with this a bit so i changed i got a bit of that and created my own eldritch entity 
And it, it was, I always find it cool to give them a voice. So I did. Uh, and they're always, they're usually enjoying themselves, which is fitting, I think. Okay, so <laughs> I also have, uh, mine's uh, one of the longer ones, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> in the anthology. Um, and it's called The Reluctant Husband. Um, so it's, if anyone has read The Crows, it's a standalone prequel set in 1938. Um, and it's how Nathan Porter meets and marries the eldritch tea lady <laughs> Deirdre Wend. It's basically about a human occultist who bites off a lot more than he can chew in his search for power <laughs> and occult secrets um, and ends up in a very mundane situation. <laughs> which is where the horror is, I think. <laughs> so this is an extract from uh, my story in which um, Nathan has just uh, been invited to Fairwood House and it's his first time uh, meeting Deirdre, who is serving him tea. And he's recording everything in his diary, so it's a retrospective account. There is something about her that frightens me. The girl makes no sound. Her approach is entirely silent when she wishes it to be so, even when pushing a trolley laden with china. I encountered her in the smoking room at Fairwood on my second visit last weekend. I doubt it has been used as a smoking room in Sir Jack's day, for the furniture has all but gone from the room, and what little remains is covered in dust sheets. I thought this would be a good place to read undisturbed, and was so engaged until the shadows lengthened in the room, and a chill worked its way down my neck." The hairs on my nape stood to attention and I had the most curious primeval response. I spun around with a hoarse cry to see no monster but Deirdre in her apron and cap standing in her stooped manner with a tea tray. She peered at me in a way that sent shivers up my spine at once assessing and, there is only one way to describe it, eviscerating. I felt an acute sense of dread. She spoke. Do you want a biscuit? <laughs> So I just love um, Lovecraft mythos and that sort of thing. And, and Lovecraft heroes are just so ridiculous to me. And I don't like that. And they're generally quite unlikable. And um, I, I'm i sorry, but they, those stories really make me laugh. And they're not supposed to make you laugh. <laughs> but they, I just find them really funny. And um, so I decided to write a a kind of... A parody I guess like a Lovecraftian par pretty much everything I write is a Lovecraftian parody or like sending up Lovecraft in some way and um, yeah so this is uh, this is Nathan expecting something very dramatic and he uses words like Stygian and a lot and a lot of things are indescribable what he's actually describing is like literally a chambermaid who serves him tea um, who is also an eldritch horror, but that's like the least horrifying thing about her. She's awful as well. Um, but <laughs> and she makes him go and watch Errol Flynn in the cinema. And <laughs> like... <laughs> so, yeah, so that's my story. Um, the, the reluctant courtship of Deirdre Wend um, and some very gnarly body horror happens to him later on and to other sort of characters. So, yeah. Um, so that's our anthology. Just a tiny peek at some of the um, stories in there. Um, and I thought we could just have an open chat time about um, our love of horror and spookiness, because this is the um, Spooky by Association anthology, which is the umbrella that it's uh, under. So it's um, 
it came out of our well group chat, group chat, chat. yeah <laughs> yeah with with additional um and we had a you had an open call didn't you for yeah for stories yeah it started off as a joke and then I was like wait what is <laughs> what is the thing <laughs> and yeah people loved it I think it was such a good idea we had such a lot of interest for it as well mm-hmm. and um yeah you worked really hard on this Ezra so thank you so much for putting it together and spooky by association was the working title originally but it's it's just a really good kind of publishing indie publishing name as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah why did uh you guys um kind of where did your love of spookiness and and horror kind of come from Ali do you want to say something (laughs) anybody else jump in I have always loved spooky stories ever since I was a child and I've always believed in ghosts and been thoroughly scared of them. The first story I wrote about ghosts that was published was called The Strange Occurrences at Sunnywell Care Home for a collection of folk horror stories from horrified books. And I love this idea that horror kind of flourishes in the cracks between worlds and our memory of events so inexplicable things happen every day and it's that inexplicable element that lets in the darkness and with folk we have forests of gnarled trees or perhaps you know ancient relics or a well that can remind us of our fleeting existence and all these surroundings kind of watch over us and follow us as we battle on a day-to-day basis with the memory of a violence or traumatic event. So as we age, these surroundings still also age with us, and then they kind of swallow us up. So I love this idea that a ghost story can really be so many things, depending on what your darkness is. I... Uh, I have a weird relationship with horror and spookiness because it's it was mostly non-existent most, most of my life. Uh, and I sort of started to grow fond of it via like podcasts and lots of a lot of different people who like horror and write horror and study horror. And mostly via Romancing the Gothic and then uh, meeting you folks. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, like I can actually enjoy and and really like uh, reading horror, at least some types of horror. Uh, and yours very much uh, uh, fits that small box. But I, and then I started to discover, hmm, I can play with this too. Because I, I, I work with sci-fi a lot of the time and I like the weird stuff. So I'm like, okay, I can bring that in too. And then just like playing with cosmic stuff and weird feelings and just strange thing odd things happening and then and that sense of the unnerving is something i really enjoy so yeah and weird and super powerful entities who just have a great time so i guess for me it's (laughs) my love of horror is very recent but it's quite a lot of things but it's mostly to write this sense of like i don't know i guess powerlessness or power or just Weird things going on, and oh, this this shouldn't be the case. Oh no! Uh, so yeah, I think that's how I feel about writing horror or thinking spooky stuff. Uh, yeah, I think. 
Yeah, I can I can see that as well, like because um, your podcast, uh, the left page, is very much about class dynamics and power balances and fiction and that kind of thing. So I can kind of see where you're where you're coming from when you're writing and why power imbalances and that kind of dynamic is a fun one for you to play with because you're playing with it in a different kind of medium and a vehicle, a different vehicle. So yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool, um, Ezra. Um, you're you're also kind of like you used to write a lot of um I don't know I like a lot of fantasy fantasy. yeah a lot of fantasy but they always had like dark fantasy undertones yeah I think it was just for the longest time like I was introduced like I grew up on the original Grimm's Brothers fairy tales and the ones that those were inspired by and those were like pretty grisly most of the time and I loved them but I didn't really sort of embrace that until like later on and then I read Flowers in the Attic at a too young of age and I was like oh, I gothic vibes and then I sort of started to combine those two things in my writing and then here we are <laughs> yeah and you because you don't tend to um you don't watch many slashes like you're not no, you're not a big no. slasher person but this story is quite gory and a lot of the stuff you write is quite gory. You're, you're kind of, your brand is very much like there's cannibalism in there somewhere or like somebody's being eaten by something. Um, how does that, how did, is, how does that work? <laughs> I guess I can read and write it, but I just can't watch it. It's like once when I get the visual in my head, like an actual visual with people and quote unquote real things happening. And like once when it starts to, become more vivid that's where I start to have trouble with it but like I can listen to it I can read it I can write it but just no I think I think the scariest thing I could watch was probably a del toro but I introduced you to no one lives I know (laughs) (laughs) drawing you into the slasher realm with me No, I'm very much the same, actually. I think one of the worst things I've ever seen was um, Colour Out of Space with Nick Cage, which is based on a Lovecraft story. And it's just the the body horror and the slow changing of the characters in it because they're drinking the water and it's so insidious. And they're eating fruit that has, you know, kind of grown out of the water that's contaminated with this alien thing that is now changing them and changing the alpacas and this like oh, oh, oh. and I made a mistake of watching I thought oh it's all right I'll watch it in the daytime but I made the mistake of watching it at lunchtime while I was trying to eat and I was just like it's the one thing uh, yeah yeah <laughs> just I was like oh no I just couldn't watch it it was awful and it's stuff like that that gets me even though the you know the special effects are not necessarily amazing it just it's the concept of it and and yet I write stuff like that, you know. And I couldn't. You I know can't. What horrifies you? At least yeah. That's, what, that's why I'm able to do body horror is because well, I watched the worst parts of the Human Centipede at an oh. impressionable age, and just I, I'm not that you've seen too much of it, but I do write stuff similar to that, and I'm just like horrified of myself while I'm doing it, but I can't stop. It's like a purging. Is that your is that your medical horror thing that you were writing? Yeah. Oh God, yeah, you, you t- yeah, okay. I'm excited for that to make its way into the world, <laughs> and also terrified. 
I think that's the general feeling I get when reading Ezra's writing. It's, well, I want to read this. This is going to be horrifying. Mm. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. <laughs> so I was thinking we could do um, another kind of fun thing, which is to pick somebody else's story from the anthology and talk about that and why we like that. Frank, what have, what have you chosen? I, I was thinking about Hester's story, The Hitchhiker. Yes. Which is, yes. <laughs> it, it, it nails on, I mean, similar notes that we're talking about this idea of like infection or if more subtle in terms of like, well, I won't go too much into it uh, because I don't want to spoil it, but a sort of creeping sense of like, oh, change and shall we say compelling or impulses. And then you're like, oh, is this really me? Is this really not me? And it's all getting weirder, and there's there's a, a fascinating and bizarre tone to the story in terms of like a biological aspect. And I will not say any more. Uh, but it's like, oh, this is generally really cool and interesting, and also terrifying. Uh, but yeah, it's I mean the entire collection is full of great stories. So yeah, this is one that is like, oh, good god. Uh, the way that it's written, it's so bouncy. Like you don't expect it to be like that with the content. You're like, oh, this is like he like Hester pitched me the whole premise first. I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna be written like sort of you know dark and like really disturbing. But the whole piece of it is very very bouncy. <laughs> yeah, I loved all the stories in the anthology, and Gunslingers and Garlic by L. J. Thomas stood out for me in particular because vampire stories just never get old and they have this ability to mutate and adapt to different eras and times. And this story brings vampires into our modern world again, where the dialogue is funny, but let's not forget that garlic is, as the story tells us, a very serious thing. Yeah, and it's a really cool noir vampire story that's also quite funny and um, has got yeah, some really cool, like, Southern Gothic-y kind of elements in it, I think. Yeah, um, what one have you picked, Ezra? Um, I know I know they're all, like, it, it's kind of your entire yeah. thing. The entire thing's your baby, so very difficult. I honestly don't know which one I would pick because there's just such a vast array and everything is so, like, different and everyone's, like, put bits and pieces of themselves into it and, like, each has their own very specific voice and I don't, I don't know. It's unfair to ask you as well, because you, you're meant to be the neutral, impartial editor who's chosen them all. And you've spent a lot more time with them all than um, anyone else has, because um, obviously you had to read the initial submission and uh, kind of do the comments on that and then select. And then you I think did I read it probably about 13 times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You had uh, other people do beta reader, um, yeah. beta reader comments and developmental edit comments, uh, which is by CJ Listro. And then the copy editing was by um, Charlie Knight. So, yeah, we and then then you read it all again yeah. <laughs> after, after everyone put their comments back in. So but it was just a whole process. Someone else's stories. Like it's a yeah. lot easier to see through other people's work than it is my own over and over i was going to mention um michelle tang's uh, on reflection mm -hmm. because that was one of the first ones that i read and i think um it's the first one in the 
book as well. I love the voice and I love how Edgar Allan Poe it kind of is, even though it's contemporary. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know if it's the setting and the whole tragic love thing and a man just kind of slowly unraveling to the point of, you know, he's he's slowly sinking into suicide as as that's that's the content warning at the start but um it's that whole journey that he goes on in such a short space of time and it really did kind of have those poe vibes for me and i just yeah i really like that in a very disturbing kind of a way <laughs> Um, it's just been such a fun experience to do the whole um, anthology. And I was just wondering how, like, it, it was a total accident, I think, wasn't it? That you didn't, I mean, the theme originally was just kind of something dark and spooky. And as you were choosing them, it, they, they kind of all fell into this transformational theme, didn't they? So they, they're all kind of loosely linked by a change of state or resistance of change and transformation, um, destructive changes that people go through, that, and, and mortality as well. Facing mortality is a big thing. And I just wondered if we could have a little chat about why is that? <laughs> like, um, and, and kind of change and transformation in general and what that means in your story um, and other stories you read or enjoyed. Um, go as shallow or deep as you want, I guess. Ali, what about um, yours regarding ghosts? What's your opinion about ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? Um, and like, how did you come to write um, a ghost story? Why was a ghost story important to you? Often I ask myself, what is a ghost? And how the idea of what, it, what a ghost is has changed for me. And I think it's something that can survive past the physical body and interacts, begins to interact with us. And that's when we see all these odd things that might feel inexplicable or like magic, just because we're trying to look at them through too narrow a lens, I think too traditional a set of beliefs. So we start to look at whether or not consciousness is, you know, localised, perhaps in just a physical part of the brain, whether it can survive past the physical body after it decomposes and can it interact. So if, it, if that is true and potentially if that's what ghosts are, then it brings me to the conclusion that ghosts um, can be real. It's just a matter of asking ourselves what they actually are. So depending on what your set of beliefs is, um, ghosts are kind of those dark spaces in our explainable existence and they are how dark thoughts can creep in as well and hence um, the creativity as well so that's my take on ghosts and this being an anthology on mortality memory and transformation makes it all the more relevant as a theme if we consider ghosts to be some sort of energy attempting to mutate and transform itself in order to make itself known and keep memories alive and giving the silenced a voice. Yeah, thank you for that, Ali. That's so interesting. Um, I'm I really like ghost stories, and um, I really like that moment just before death. You know, that kind of the the facing mortality moment where you're not sure if you're going to transform or you don't know what's going to be on the other side and that sort of thing. Alice Scott's story in the anthology kind of deals with that a little bit as well. Um, the death of Christine Pacey, um, and that's. That's really cool. That has a trans MC 
uh, a trans man main character and it's just yes yeah, a really interesting look at um alice's characters and like um the mythology of that world and yeah it's it's, it's a contemporary story but it's it's really cool I can't think of anyone else who has a ghost, a proper ghost story in it. Um, everyone's haunted by something, though, I think. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ezra, um, what about you? I guess with writing my own, like, I knew from the beginning that redacted and redacted were going to die. Um, so it's like I wrote out, knowing that this was the ending, like, it was pretty clear for me from the get-go what the story was going to be. Um, beat by beat but I don't know that I really thought about it too deeply like I'm like thinking like like in the back of my mind thinking okay I have to have these sort of themes in it it's just I just sort of wrote it and it happened do you find yourself writing I know you find yourself writing about death a lot because a lot of people die in your stories um but yeah I was just wondering if like you also write about transformational kind of body horror as well yeah. like you write vampires and you write eldritch transformations and like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um when did that start for you like what and what attracts you to writing those kinds of things I guess I've always been writing that like since I was like preteen, just because I don't know I guess it's always the whole aspect of being closeted and queer and knowing that when you come out your family won't support you with that is that you start to feel a little bit monstrous and that you're going through these changes that are difficult and there's a lot of self-realization and I guess I just sort of connected with the monsters that were going through these things more than I connected with the main characters yeah it's like that um the recognition of the outsider isn't it like actually that's me (laughs) yeah yeah definitely I can see that and I think um yeah I think that's a very common um experience that it's a very kind of reson it it resonates with an awful lot of people I think Mm -hmm. and there's so many people who love the idea of um the monstrous divinity anthology that you're um, currently managing the Kickstarter campaign for. Um, so if you go to at Ezra Aunt writes on Twitter um, and the link will be in the, in the transcript, which is on the blog as well, but you'll be able to support that and have a look at that anthology uh, premise and what, uh, what's going on there. Um, I don't know, Frank, do you want to kind of chime in about transformation? Sure. I think in my case, like it, it's somewhat similar because I I started out like with this visual image of like okay I want to play with this thing but I want to also want to make it mine, so uh, I think there was this shift of like okay how do I build this as a character and then as I I, I think it came first with the the pursuer in this case and just the, the setting that I was making like okay I want to make this awful human being um, and then the things that he did and his refusal to acknowledge that throughout the whole story. Uh, it's really interesting because the story changed a bit uh, over the various editing and it got, uh, it got some added content warnings and uh, an extra gruesome scene. And it's sort of, I think at the end of the day was for the best because it really nails down like, Oh, so this is all that's going on. And I think in terms of transformation, like, 
it's very much well a weird pursuit uh in the in both a, a strange creature or being that is sort of enacting this this chase uh, along with a, a sort of refusal to change and, and understand like oh why is this happening why am i being pursued and at the end um the strange result too <laughs> uh which is well it's something particular as well it is not exactly oh it's just this it's it's a uh, trying to find different words uh but it's not as simple as just oh it's a, a transformation or a change it's that but it's also something else and i think it's it's a change which isn't as easy especially when playing with a horrible person and a, a weird eldritch being but that i i think something that isn't as easy to understand like something which remains in a sort of tension as like the the ending kind of does that, that it's not as simple an ending a, a certain reading can have it's like oh it's that it, it's resolved but I, I leave a couple of crumbs there that it's not that easy and i think for me is that like okay what does this transformation entail which isn't just okay this happened but this entails more and that more is something that i might play with somewhere else um, and it is something yeah. that I, uh, as a, a potential submission for the Monstrous Divinity uh, thing, uh, which is very cool, I'm really excited about. Uh, it's definitely going to play something along those lines of like, how can power be played? And how does that change the character, the environment, the beings or the characters or the life uh, involved or the lives involved? So uh, all, all, I... I think you were right when you mentioned the power thing about me and what I'm doing, uh, and I hadn't realized it. But yeah, it's I think it's how that causes change and is affected by other types of actions and changes and leads to very much unforeseen consequences. That's so cool. I love how everybody's got different ways that they approach transformation and um, and that kind of, uh, you know, coming from a political standpoint or class standpoint or, you know, and then metaphorically transposing that into something else and playing with it. I think that's, that's I, kind, I think I kind of do that as well because I play with class dynamics a lot and I also play with monstrousness a lot and embodying monstrousness a lot and I think for some of the same reasons as you guys do um but for me I don't know like I um I think because it took me so long to do that self-realization self-actualization kind of thing and I'm not uh I, I mean I grew up in the the 90s when we didn't we may have had labels for things but if we did I wasn't aware of them because I wasn't in those circles and I, I wasn't online and I wasn't uh you know I I came from a, a South Wales Valley school I think there was like two people openly gay in the whole school and both of them were lads you know and it was it was just an it was just one of those things that you don't you don't think about and I don't think about you know I didn't ever think about my gender I didn't think about um or I you know if I felt something I didn't really have the way to the words to articulate it not also not knowing that I'm neurodivergent until I was like in my my 30s 
um and and that kind of thing like um so for me i i've often felt i guess that i'm in a constant state of transformation and um that kind of process and that is very much linked to my class um because i'm from a working class background and i went to university at oxford and that was uh you know where people have titles and people are from public school and people are the sons of earls and um that's just a fact and being a working class academic is an interesting thing <laughs> and you do get that kind of um you know that playing with who am i where do i come from and how do i navigate all of these changes and all of these different pressures mm-hmm. and i think that's where that's why i do but both kind of things like that that monstrousness which is you know some of my characters happen to be gay or happen to be pan or happen to be like uh whatever and that's all canonical but that's not um aero ace as well uh kind of like me the the actual locus of monstrousness tends to be a class thing for me and embodying those different spaces and being forced into those spaces or being forced out of those spaces or trying to muscle your way into spaces that exclude you um or not you know or or whatever and it's that kind of thing that I find more you know that I play with more um so yeah it's interesting isn't it how everybody's got these different coming from different places and then we all kind of merged into this like here here's a theme and there are so different so many different layers to the theme like I love it it's just such an interesting yeah it's just such an interesting anthology in that respect I think there's so much going on um <laughs> but yeah thank you so much guys thank you for having us <laughs> yeah, like just it's a, it's a great collection with uh, incredibly edited and put together and just like yeah th- thank you thanks again Ezra for, for all your hard work Aww. for this yeah thank you Ezra for all your hard work and I'm really excited to see um how the monstrous divinity anthology goes um please do support that on kickstarter if you can um and follow Ezra at Ezra Aunt Writes on twitter and the link will be in the transcript on the blog and on my Kofi. that's all we've got time for bye now Yeah.